0: You know, there are sounds that I don't hear very often. One of them is the sound of a rooster crowing. From my apartment, uh, I can hear dogs barking and lots of sirens from the ambulances from, because we live close to the hospital. And we can also hear the school bus going down our street and lots of other noises. But I rarely hear a rooster crowing. I would have to go further out of town to hear that, somewhere not as crowded or busy as my complex. Roosters don't usually frequent populated areas. Everyone knows that. They are found in the open spaces where they can sound forth just before dawn and wake the sleepers with the news that a new day has come. God made roosters for that reason, to serve as trumpets of the morning, to signal that a new day has come to rouse sleepers from their beds, and to remind kids to get up and go to school on time. Peter knew all about roosters. After all, you couldn't live in a rural area like Galilee and not get used to the daily singing of the rooster chorus. He had heard roosters crowing since the day he was born. The sound was as familiar to him as the sound of a radio alarm would be to us today. The rooster's crow meant, Wake up! Get up! A new day is beginning. Over the years, he had heard that sound a thousand times or more. But of all the times and of all the roosters, he only remembered one time and one rooster and one sound. It happened one Friday morning in Jerusalem. The rooster crowed, and Peter never forgot it. As long as he lived, he never forgot it. And he never tired of telling the story. In fact, he told the story so often that it was written down four different times by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the story itself was repeated over and over again by the first generation of Christians. They never forgot it, and they never tired of telling it. It became one of the most familiar and best loved parts of the gospel story. And for 2,000 years, this story, told and retold, embellished with vivid detail, has encouraged Christians everywhere. Wherever the story of Jesus' arrest is told, the story of Peter and the rooster is sure to be told as well. We love this story because we understand it and because we can see ourselves in it. Few Bible stories speak to us as this one does. Hear the words of John's Gospel. Simon Peter followed Jesus as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate, and then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Matthew Henry, a Bible scholar writing over 300 years ago, divided this story into two parts. Part one, Peter's fall, and part two, Peter's getting up again. We will follow that simple outline as we look at this story. As we do, let's thank God that although Peter fell, he did indeed get up again. Peter's fall. It's late on Thursday night in Jerusalem. Jesus has just been arrested and taken away to the house of the high priest. Most of the disciples are nowhere to be found. They're gone, scattered, drifted off into the darkness too shocked and too angry by the actions of Judas to do anything else. When the crowd of soldiers led Jesus away, Peter decided to follow them. He had promised never to desert Jesus, and he wasn't going to start now. In the confusion, it was easy to tag along behind the crowd. No one seemed to notice him. Certainly no one recognized him as one of Jesus' top men. Sorry, Jesus' top men. He followed the crowd to the house of the high priest. The house opened onto a courtyard, which could only be entered through a gate near the alley. By the time Peter got there, the soldiers had taken Jesus inside to meet the high priest. The crowd had partly dispersed, it being late and the major excitement over for the time being. Some had gone home. Others were warming themselves by the fire in the courtyard. It was early April and the temperature had dropped into the upper 40s. It was hard for Peter to tell exactly how many people were there. Fifty, maybe more. There were soldiers milling about and servant girls running errands. Plus, there were hangers-on and passers-by, exactly the category Peter himself fit into, who were waiting to see what would happen to this fellow Jesus. In order to understand what happens next, it helps to remember that it is now sometime after midnight. In the darkness, Peter comes to the gate and waits to be admitted. No one there knows who he is, or so he thinks, so it should be perfectly safe for him to go in. True, he is now in enemy territory, but it's the middle of the night, and there's no reason for them to suspect him. Armed with that thought, he brushes past the servant girl on his way to stand by the fire in the courtyard. Just as he was getting to the fire, the servant girl spoke up and said, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? The words hit Peter like an electric shock. Somehow she recognized him. How did she know him? No one knows. It really didn't matter. And it didn't matter that she didn't know his name. What mattered was that somehow she had connected him with Jesus. Peter had to think fast. Instinctively he muttered out the oldest dodge in the world. No, I am not. That's right. Just play dumb, act like you don't know what she's talking about. It worked. Or at least Peter thought it worked. But as he stood around the fire talking to the soldiers, soldiers he noticed two or three people looking at him closely. Too closely, too carefully, one or two were nodding in his direction and whispering. Minutes passed, and Peter turned to walk out of the courtyard. Things were getting a little dicey. As he did, a second servant girl, a friend of the first, suddenly spoke up. You're not one of his disciples, are you? Peter tried to act calm, but he felt his heart pounding in his chest. Quick now, you've got to say something. Think, man, don't just stand there. So he said, No, I am not. But when he said it, his face was flushed, and he could tell the girl didn't believe him. Peter knew that he was in real trouble. Talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's in the enemy camp, warming himself around the enemy's fire. If he tried to leave now, that would arouse even more suspicion. But if he stayed, they might find him out. More time passed, with more looks and whispers directed at him. After about an hour, it appeared that Jesus' interview with the high priest was about over. The guards were going to and from the house, and the temple in the courtyard picked up. Peter breathed a sigh of relief. Maybe he would get out of this after all. It was just at that moment. Then a man spoke up from the other side of the fire. He sounded more sure of himself and definitely more hostile than the servant girls. Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Peter looked up at him and tried to play dumb. This time it didn't work. Evidently, this fellow had gone with the crowd to arrest Jesus. Worse, he was a relative of Malchus, the man whose ear Peter had impulsively cut off earlier in the garden when he was with Jesus. Peter was trapped, and he knew it. This fellow had seen him with Jesus. Plus, he was plenty ticked off about what Peter had done. When a person is backed into a corner, they will do almost anything to save themselves. In this, in this case, Peter began to curse and swear I don't know him. Why don't you leave me alone? May God strike me dead if I ever heard of this man Jesus. The words just came tumbling out. Old words born of fear and exhaustion. Words Peter hadn't used since his days as a fisherman. And at that very instant, the words flew from his mouth. A rooster began to crow. Now that the story is laid before us, we should begin to ask some questions chief among them being what possessed Peter to deny knowing Jesus. The answer is not difficult to find. Peter was scared, and he was tired. That doesn't excuse his conduct, but it does make it understandable. After all that had happened, Peter finally ran out of strength. Consider the matter from his point of view. Jesus' case appeared to be hopeless. The chief priests had him at last, and they would not let go until he was dead. That much was clear. What point would there be in sticking your neck out? Besides that, Peter is tired and lonely and cold and a little bit disoriented. Plus, and this is a big factor, he never expected to be questioned by a servant girl. Her question caught him totally off guard, and he blurted out an answer almost without thinking. But once he denied knowing Jesus, there was no turning back. He had to play it out. That's part of the irony of this story. Peter denied Christ to a servant girl, not to a high priest, not to a soldier, not to anyone important, someone of rank or status in that society, but to a servant. Peter had said he was ready to die for Christ that night. Just two hours earlier, he was whacking off somebody's ear. No, Peter was no coward, and he knew the risk involved in going to the courtyard courtyard of the high priest, and I wonder what would have happened if Peter had been brought before the high priest. Would he have said, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, and followed his master to the cross? Or would he have denied Jesus even there in his presence? What happened by the fire? For one thing, he was totally unprepared to be questioned by a servant girl. She caught him off guard, and he lied about knowing Jesus. But one lie leads to another. As Alexander McLaren put it, one sin makes many. The devil's hounds run in packs. What happened to Peter was no fluke. He set himself up by a long string of bad decisions. Here are the seven great mistakes he made that night. He talked when he should have been listening. At the Last Supper, when Jesus said that all the disciples would desert him, Peter impulsively blurted out, Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Within six hours, Peter would come to regret those brave words. He didn't appreciate his own weakness, he ignored Jesus' warning. He followed Jesus, but at a distance when he should have been at his elbow. In this case, following Jesus afar so off only got him in more trouble. He warmed himself at the wrong fire. Peter had no business warming himself in the company of the enemies of the Lord. As one writer put it, if his faith had not already been frozen, He would not have needed to warm himself by the fire. By consorting with those who had arrested Jesus, Peter was placing himself in a position where he would almost certainly be exposed. Peter warmed himself by the wrong fire until things got too hot for him. He was unprepared when the attack came. He compounded his sin by first deceiving, then denying, and finally swearing. But this was inevitable. Peter set himself up for a fall when it came. It was a big one. Remember the old saying, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive? It is interesting to note that Peter fooled only himself. The others never really believed him. They sensed he was lying, Something in his face and tone of his voice gave him away. And so it was that Peter, the rock, had crumbled in the critical moment. He had denied his Lord not once, but three times. It was a failure he would remember for the rest of his days. As we think of it, let us take heart the words of 1 Corinthians ten twelve: If you think you are standing strong... Be careful not to fall. Peter gets up, getting up again. There were four steps in Peter's return to the Lord. First, the Gospels are unanimous on one point. The rooster crowed at the exact moment of Peter's third denial. As the foul words flew out of his mouth, at that very instant, from somewhere off in the distance, a rooster began to crow. The rooster crowed and Peter remembered. William Hendrickson put it this way, "'This hidden memory will pull the rope "'that will ring the bell of Peter's conscience.'" Suddenly it all became clear, how rash he had been only six hours earlier, how cocky he had been, how confident in his own strength, how sure of his own abilities. The sound of the rooster meant, "'Peter, I warned you this would happen,' and you didn't believe me. Second, Luke's account of this story contains one detail the others omit. Luke 22:61 61 says that when the rooster crowed, at that moment the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Since this was the middle of the night, it must have happened just as the guards were taking Jesus from his interview with Caiaphas to his trial before the Sanhedrin. Evidently, the guards were leading Jesus through the courtyard just as Peter was denying Christ for the third time. In that tiny moment of time, Peter cursed. The rooster crowed. Peter looked up and saw Jesus looking directly at him. By this time, Jesus' face is black and blue, his eyes almost swollen shut, his cheeks bruised and covered with spittle, A trace of blood trickles from his lips. Even though it is the dead of night, Peter can see him perfectly in the firelight, and Jesus can see him. He doesn't say a word. He looks at Peter, who has denied him for the third time. Everything has happened just as he predicted. It was a convicting look. You said you didn't know me. Look at me, Peter. Look at me. Do you not know me? It was a compassionate look. Peter, how weak you are. Now you know that without me, you can do nothing. It was a commissioning look. Weep, Peter, and remember your words. Then go and strengthen your brothers. Third, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all stress that when the rooster crowed, Peter remembered the words of Jesus. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. It was this memory more than anything, and more than anything else that brought Peter back to God. Not only had Peter fallen, he had fallen after his vain boasting. It had happened just as Jesus predicted. Those words, spoken in love, had lodged themselves deep within the crevices of Peter's mind. So much had happened in those few hours that Peter had forgotten. But at the opportune moment, he remembered what Jesus said. Finally, we are told that when he did remember, Peter wept bitterly. His tears are a sign of his deep repentance. He realized at last what he had done, how far he had fallen, how his denials had hurt the Lord. Judas wept too. But his tears led to suicide. Peter's tears led to repentance. Tears are good if they lead to a new devotion to Jesus Christ and a new determination to serve him. We may weep, but if our hearts are not made tender and open before the Lord, our tears do no good. For Peter, his tears signaled the breaking of his heart because of his sin. As the psalmist said, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a repentant and broken heart. We can conclude from all of this that Peter was fundamentally loyal to Jesus. After all, at least he followed Jesus into the courtyard. The rest of the disciples wouldn't even do that. In the words of William Barclay, Peter fell to a temptation that could only come to a brave man. The person of courage always runs more risks than the person who seeks a place of calm and safety. Liability to temptation is the price that we pay when we are adventurous in mind and action. Peter didn't handle himself well, but at least he was there. His failure was terrible, but at least he cared enough to try and follow his Lord. That doesn't excuse his sin, but it does help us see the bigger picture. In the end, it was not Peter's faith that failed, but his courage. Jesus had told Peter, I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. His prayer was answered. Peter never lost his faith. In the moment of crisis, he lost his courage. It's true that Peter was loud, profane, and vulgar that night. It is also true that underneath it all, he loved Jesus, and he was there in the courtyard with all his faults, keeping an eye on him. At heart, Peter was a good man who failed to live up to the best intentions of his heart. What's the good news in this story for us? I notice two interesting facts about the way Jesus treated Peter. He never criticized him, and he never gave up on him. Jesus knew about Peter's denial long before it happened. He knew that what Peter would do. He knew how he would react, and he knew the man, the kind of man Peter would be afterward. There's an important principle at work here. A bone that is broken often becomes stronger after it's healed. Something in the healing process actually makes the break point stronger than it was before. The same thing is true of our failures. God can take us where we are broken and make us stronger than we were before. Though we fall down, and though our faces are covered with the grime of bitter defeat, by God's grace we can rise from our defeat and march to victory. That's what happened to Peter. His guilt was turned into grace, his shame into sympathy, his failure into faithfulness. And here's the proof. Peter did much more for Jesus Christ after his fall than he did before. Before his fall, he was loud, boisterous, and unreliable. Afterwards, he became a flaming preacher of the gospel. Before, he was a big talker. Afterward, he talked only of what Jesus Christ could do for others. He was the same man, but he was different. This is what Peter lost in his failure, his vanity, his pride, his self-confidence, his rash impulsiveness, and his unreliability. This is what Peter gained after his restoration. Humility, new confidence in God, tested courage, new determination to serve Jesus Christ, and a willingness to use his experience to help others. The things he lost, he didn't really need. The things he gained couldn't have come any other way. In the same way, God redeems our mistakes by removing the things that brought us down and replacing them with the qualities we always wanted but couldn't seem to find. There is much in this story that should, be, that should encourage us. It was not the real Peter who denied the Lord. It was the real Peter who followed him into the courtyard. It was not the real Peter who cursed and swore. It was the real Peter who said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When the Lord looks at you and me, he doesn't look at us and see only our failures. He sees beyond our faults to the loyalty underneath. He sees our pain, our tears, and our earnest desire to please him. He sees us in our faltering attempts to follow him. To whom does this story apply? First of all, this story is for those who are being tempted, who feel the pull of circumstances conspiring to draw you away from the Lord. Take heart. Do you feel weak and confused? Peter felt that way too. Are you discouraged about your life? Peter felt discouraged too. Do you feel backed into a corner? So did Peter. This story is for you. Second, this story is for those who have fallen. Perhaps you gave way under pressure this week. Perhaps you carry a load of guilt from some thoughtless words spoken in haste. Perhaps you denied the Lord by keeping quiet at work when you should have spoken up. And perhaps you have used vile language this week, even if only spoken under your breath. Perhaps you have been where you ought not to have been. Perhaps you found yourself in a relationship that you know is wrong take heart. Peter not only felt like you, he also fell like you. Third, this story is for those who are coming back to God. Perhaps you know all about weeping bitter tears. Do you feel as if God is far away from you? Does it seem as if you are trudging across a vast desert all alone? Do you feel embarrassed and humiliated by the things you did and said that got you in the mess you were in? Take heart. Peter felt that way too. No story in all the Bible gives us more hope. If Peter can fall, anybody can fall. If Peter can come back, anybody can come back. One final point. Where did this story come from? How did it get in the Bible? Who told this story in the first place? It could have only come from Peter. No one else was there to tell what happened. We wouldn't have done that. We had our mistakes to make sure no one finds out about them. Not Peter. Once he was restored, he couldn't stop talking about what Jesus had done for him. Peter still speaks to us today. He says, If you think you've fallen short, if you feel like you've denied Jesus, Look at what happened to me. Don't despair. God still loves you, and he loves you so much that it doesn't matter what you've done. If God can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. He loves you. He always has, and he always will. There's hope for us all, the best of us, the worst of us, and the rest of us. If you have fallen, God can pick you up again. If you are broken, he can make you whole again. If you have failed, he can make you useful again. If you have lost your courage, he can give it back to you again. Take heart and believe the good news. If he did it for Peter, he can do it for you. Pray with me. Lord, we know that we are flawed just like Peter. We stumble and we fall. We even deny you. Yet you are there to pick us up and heal us when we are broken. In spite of our failures, you restore us and give us hope. Thank you for loving us. May we use our failures to become useful disciples once again. Amen.